Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dodgeball Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Armando Valdez and Andrea Villagran. Guys, thank you guys uh, so much for hopping on and, and being a part of this um, recap series with, with Worlds. Um, but why don't we just have you guys formally introduce yourselves, just give me like a quick um, where you guys are from and what's your uh, relationship towards Dodgeball is. We'll start with you, Armando. Oh, definitely. And thank you, Steve, for having us. Uh, so my name is Armando Valdez. Uh, I'm originally from Mexico, uh, came here to the United States to study uh, computer science at MIT. And after that, I stayed uh, for work. Uh, it was here where I found Dodgeball um, while playing Tremorals. So um, I actually didn't have much of an exposure in Mexico. Um, it's uh, played in some schools, but not in every school, like here in the US. and. Um, uh, in my in my personal experience, I, I actually didn't know anything about it until I got here. Okay. Um, so there wasn't dodgeball in Mexico when you uh, lived there. No, well, I mean there is there is some at some schools, but it's uh, not played very often and definitely not part of any established uh, PE program. Gotcha. So just not not like it is. Well, kind of like here where it's starting to take off a little bit, um, and definitely not like in the other countries where it's like. I think it's way bigger, like uh, in Malaysia, for example, Hong Kong, like they, they pretty much play all the time. It's, it's very structured. Um, gotcha. And um, you're, you're from, are you part of UC Davis? Is that where you originally started playing? I know, no. Uh, so, and that's actually a funny, funny thing about the, the name of my previous team, uh, Davis Dodgeball. Right. Um, we, uh, it's, it's a team from Boston uh, that grew up from uh, local uh, leagues, uh, SBS to be specific. Uh, social Boston sports and uh, before our first NDL we were looking for names uh, for the team for for our competitive travel team right and our original name if I remember correctly was Boston Massacre uh, uh, actually the team was team was led, uh, led by uh, Kate Currens okay um, nice and it just happened that that year uh, was also the, the day of the Boston Marathon bombings. Ooh. Uh, so because of that, we decided that the name was not exactly what we wanted to portray. Yeah, not, uh, not a good timing there with that name. Right. And then uh, we used to play very close to uh, a place in, in the greater Boston area called the, uh, Davis Square. And that's where the name came from. Uh, so it, it's actually a place not related to the U, uh, University of California. Gotcha. But you guys had, um, uh, was Andrew Zapala on that team too? Yes, he was. Uh, well, he, he came a little bit later. Uh, I think he joined, um, second to last year, uh, we played before, before the team disbanded. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, he was on the team too. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I remember some of you guys uh, broke off and formed anarchy, which is, are, are you still with anarchy now? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah, and that was uh, was that 2013 that you guys put uh, you made your NDL debut. What year was that? I think that's the year. Uh, I'm not sure if it was uh, 2012, but uh, definitely 2013. We were definitely there. Gotcha. And that you know that team also had Stephen Decker, um, Amanda Ashley on there. I'm trying to pull from memory because um, I remember that team had been around for a while, and you guys had really cool, crisp uniforms uh, in 2013, if I can remember. So. Um, cool. And then, um, we'll, we'll get into your involvement with, uh, WDBF and, um, 
and whatnot. But let's go to Andrea. So Andrea, what's what's your um, dodgeball background look like? So um, I was familiar with the school version of dodgeball. Um, I grew up in Guatemala City, and um, yeah, you know, we used to play it every now and then. But we played it with uh, cloth balls, but very heavy, almost like medicine balls. Um, so it was not particularly fun. Um, but then I was introduced to dodgeball, to, to the U.S. kind of dodgeball through Armando. Um, he is the one who started playing the social league at SVS, and then he got me into it as well. So I started playing around 2010 um, socially and then joining them wherever I could on the NDL in, in 2012, just going and supporting the team. And then um, 2014, I think I played um, with Badgers, with Boston Badgers. Um, yeah, so, so that's how it all started through Armando. Gotcha. Badgers, was that the... Is that the, the team black and, and yellow? Yes. Coloring? Gotcha. Yeah, the old memories kind of kind of work sometimes. Um, that's cool. So did you say um, you played in Guatemala? Was that where you, you said you're from? But yeah, I, that's yeah, that's where I grew up. And you guys play with like medicine balls? Pretty much, yeah. Jeez. Um, so dodgeball, depending on where you trace its origin, um, used to play be played with like basketballs back in like the 1915 20s um we found this in like this uh, old school um gym book like little pe handbook and it mentioned dodgeball and it said you know play with a, a basketball and um i guess they, they had a lot tougher back then but i don't i couldn't imagine playing with a medicine ball like that was did anybody get hurt playing with that thing um not that i remember but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like very heavy medicine balls but it were they were yeah i guess just old very heavy leather balls. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> yeah, that'll get you used to foam real quick in any other kind of dodgeball, I think. <laughs> Makes that like no problem. Um, but I, I mean, I did play that as a child and then I started playing again very much, you know, like 15 years afterwards. So with foam at SBS. Gotcha. And is that where you like fell in love with the game or like kind of want to touch up on that a little bit? Like what? Oh, uh... Yes, definitely at SBS. That was, yeah, that's where I fell in love with dodgeball. What, uh, why? Like, did you play any other sports growing up or why, why um, dodgeball? Yeah. yeah, growing up I did um, gymnastics. Um, I did gymnastics for a good amount of my life. Um, and after that I switched to track and field for two years. I was a pole vaulter. Um, so yeah, I swam through high school as well. Um, yeah. Gotcha. But dodgeball is what, what hooked you? Yeah, dodgeball was really, and I think more than anything, I think it's the fact that it was something that um, we could do together as a couple that right. made it even more fun. Yeah, there's, there's couples that play dodgeball and they do so really well. There's others that uh, like fight on the court sometimes, like, uh, like in my experience, but um that's cool. And SBS Sports, I'm, I'm assuming, did you guys say you're still part of that? Like you guys still play there or like yes, when yes. you're not doing competitive elite or, or, or premier, whatever uh, it's going to be called next year? Yeah, I mean, in the off season, we, we do play SBS and uh, and actually pretty much throughout the year. Um, yeah. It's just a great community. It's uh, very fun. It's obviously different than elite because it's not as competitive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's 
very social, but uh, uh, you, you have a different aspect of the game, I guess. It's it's um, very rewarding the connections you, you make uh, with other people through Dodgeball. Yeah, I saw this, uh, speaking of connections, this morning, um, I think Dodgeball memes, they made, or somebody, somebody posted a meme where it's like, this character is like going through like this temple and he's trying to find like the hidden secret of dodgeball, like the ultimate secret. And it was like the, uh, the greatest thing about dodgeball is the friendships you make. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's actually pretty funny, but cool at the same time. So definitely agree. Um, we kind of glossed over this, but, uh, what sports that he played, uh, growing up Armando? I played tennis almost. Well, actually I started up swimming, uh, for pretty much 10 years and I was really good at swimming. Uh, one of the Olympic coaches in Mexico wanted me to start training for the team uh, when I was like 10. And that's when I started hating it because uh, I had to go uh, three times per day, um, like at 4 a.m. right after school and then right before bed. And I just didn't like it. It was very lonely just being on the pool like for hours uh, on hours. And um, at that age, I think like I wasn't ready to be so competitive. Um, so I picked up tennis after that. And uh, I played that through uh, middle school, high school. And uh, just before going to college, I got hurt. So I couldn't really play varsity college. Um, I did play competitive when I was in high school, like uh, even international tournaments. Um, but uh, once I, I came to MIT and couldn't get on the team uh, because of my injury, I started playing intramurals in my sophomore through senior years. And that's how I got to know dodgeball because my intramural team needed one person to play uh, on their dodgeball team. And uh, they asked me if I could at least try it once. And when I tried it, I, I got hooked on it. Nice. Just immediately? Uh, yeah, pretty much, actually. Yeah. So when the, when the intramural season over for Dodge, I started looking for leagues, and that's that's when I found SVS. Nice. You imagine, like, you ever think about um, both of you guys, like, if you decided not to, to play dodgeball that day, that one day when um, somebody asked you, like, a friend, or you found out about it, if you had said no, where, you, where your lives would be right now? That's something I like to think about a lot. Uh, like, no, I think it would be very, very different. Yep. It would be extremely different, but I think, uh, and I was actually very close to saying no, because uh, I had some other stuff to do after... Uh, <laughs> After playing tennis, and I was already kind of tired, uh, but they were short a person, and they were going to forfeit, so that that's the only reason I did it. <laughs> and now look at you! Now look what happened. Uh, where you guys are coming back from? Um, well, so I guess uh, it's been what about f almost close to a month now since Worlds has been concluded. Um, assuming have you guys had a chance to adjust by now, and are you guys back to regular life, or like, what was that? What was it like coming back from all that? Oh, it's actually still going. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, and I think we'll probably touch upon a few of these topics later on in the interview. But uh, doing things in Mexico, it's kind of slow. So it, everything it's, takes its time in terms of paperwork and accounting and all that. So, so we're still doing some things like uh, uh, setting up payments, getting uh, payments from from vendors and stuff like that. So, so it's, it's still ongoing. Um, but it's but, more like the, it's more like the the administrative stuff for you guys, right? Right, exactly. Gotcha. But yeah. uh, but definitely definitely a little more relaxed than than the the week before the tournament. 
Yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine how stressful it's got to be uh, going there just to play, but organizing the entire thing. Um, definitely want to get into that. So real quick, um, what is your, for those that may not know, what, what's your role with um, FMDB? Uh, so I'm the founder and the president of uh, the Mexican Dodgeball Federation, uh, which are uh, the, that, that's the, what's, that's what uh, FMDB stands for uh, in Spanish. And Andrea, I uh, I am the treasurer and co-founder. Gotcha. And what? Uh, let me back up real quick. So when was um, when did FMDB enter the world stage? So it, it for the worlds. I think our first appearance was in Vegas uh, at the 2015 uh, Dodgeball World Championships. Right. Um, and just to give you a little bit of background about that. So, uh, I think it was 2014 at the NDL awards. Uh, I met, uh, Bill Fur, who at the time was the president of the WDBF. And, uh, we started talking a little bit about, uh, dodgeball internationally. And, um, he, he asked me if I would be interested in doing something in Mexico because there was nothing there, uh, down there at the moment. And um, uh, Serge Ferrari was also there uh, during the awards. And uh, we started talking and, and trying to find a way of bringing dodgeball to Mexico. Um, and we decided the best way at the time was to uh, try to get the best team we could from either people in Mexico that we could find or uh, people who already played in the US. and had Mexican citizenship either um, because they were born there and uh, came here at some point in their lives or um, had parents that uh, were Mexicans. Um, and uh, so, so that's, that was our strategy to get like a very good or, or at, at least a very decent team that could make uh, have a good appearance at the world championships and inspire a new generations of people down in Mexico to, to try to compete at that level. Gotcha. Um, and this was all from uh, a meeting Bill Fair um, during the 2015, I said 2014? Uh, right. So the meeting was in 2014, and then uh, the preparation leading up to uh, to the 2015 World Championships uh, was in 2015. Gotcha. So what, what was that like um, going from, you know, this 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 conversation with Bill Fair, um, to an actual organization. Um, if you, if you can kind of walk me through how that, how that happened. So you, you wanted to build a team, uh, to represent team Mexico, uh, be part of this organization, be part of this, um, in my opinion, much better structured, um, world dodgeball organization. Cause you also have, um, the world dodgeball, um, association that I'm, I'm still kind of not really familiar with, but just from what I've seen with all the promotions, just trying to rack my, my memory back then, it felt like 2015 was the way to go um, in terms of WDBF. So how did that start? Like you, you had dinner bill and then came back home and then, then what happened? So uh, from 2015, it's been an uphill battle in Mexico just because people don't really know the sport. Uh, as I mentioned, some schools play dodgeball uh, in some shape and form. Uh, for the most part, even those that do, don't follow uh, the same rules that, that we know uh, here in the U.S., uh, so so for instance, some some of the schools might play with a single ball, um, 
And then uh, in in terms of just uh, public knowledge, it's not very very well known or respected. So um, it, it's been it's been hard trying to to find people to play. Uh, however, once uh, people start getting to see the game, they they love it. So so for instance, we have. Uh, a small tournament uh, one day next to a school where they have uh, an admissions test. Uh, so there was a very long line leading up to the school, and that line uh, snaked through uh, the court we were playing in. And so people started watching the games, and they were just mesmerized at, at the action and uh, the fast pace of the game. Right. Uh, and uh, so after uh, their game, they. They they started showing up again and again, uh, the weeks after, just to 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 keep watching it. Uh, so so that was very inspiring, just just to see like how, just, showing people the game, uh, was able to motivate other people to start uh, watching it uh, later on. Yeah, no, that's uh, dodgeball is definitely a good spectator sport. If if for any other reason, watching people do some really cool dodges or or you know unfortunately get blasted you know maybe in the face or in the chest or just the ooh, you know like the the hype that um watching dodgeball can do but um so you start with like exhibition games um trying to recruit um yeah and plus you have, you have the disadvantage of you're trying to do this from from boston correct like do you have a chance to go down to mexico city a lot and and recruit or what, what's that process look like yeah so both andrea and i do travel a lot to uh especially to mexico city um and uh, sometimes also to uh, Tijuana and uh, Rosarito, which are which is very close to Tijuana also. Um, but but in part we we are we're also able to do this because of the team we have there. Um, so Luis de la Riva, for instance, he's been instrumental to in growing dodgeball in Mexico City um, and just finding spaces uh, with the government to to practice and. Uh, play um, a little bit more organized than we had in the past, so so formal leagues and, and things like that. And then uh, we have other people working in other states in Mexico, like Veracruz um, and Puebla. Um, so so it's it's been um, very rewarding also to see how all these people get so motivated and uh, dedicate their time in. Um, getting all these venues and uh, running the show uh, on their own at uh, the Northport. At their local level. And you said uh, Luis de la Riva, he's the vice president, right? Yes, he's the vice president. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool because like, um, you're, you're kind of, in a way, starting from scratch back in 2015. And the reason I'm kind of like still hanging on this topic is a lot of people here in the States, they, they want to have like their local leagues grow and they're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know how to grow a league. What do I do? And, uh, if you're able to grow a league in an organization in another country, like it's kind of like, well, you have no excuse. You just gotta, you know, put some feet to the paperwork and, and, uh, or pavement, excuse me, and, uh, start recruiting people. And like you said, maybe set up some exhibition games, let people know what's going on. Um, has, has worlds this year having in Cancun, has that helped you guys uh, bring more visibility to, to your organization? Uh, yes, so um, especially in the region, um, people are, and uh, I'll just uh, tell you a small a small story of what happened once uh, in one of our Facebook advertisements. Uh, we were promoting the the championships, and uh, this person uh, started commenting that dodgeball was not a real sport. Um, 
<laughs> Never heard so, that before. <laughs> so we we invited him, um, we gave him like free tickets to to come and see see the game. And uh, once he he was there and like so so like everything that was going on and all um, as you said like the, the acrobatic dodges and uh, just like uh, seeing people throw so so fast, um, he was hooked. So so he, his perspective definitely changed. Um, and that's just a small example of what has happened. Like, a, uh, even if people didn't have or a preconceived notion of what of what dodgeball was, I uh, just being able to um, to see the game and or hear about the game uh, has them really excited of starting local leagues there too. So, so that's one of the things that we're trying to uh, prioritize for early next year, uh, just to make sure that. Uh, this effort is not lost um, in terms of local development also. Right, that yeah, makes sense. Oh, good. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Absolutely. Post Cancun, there's been a lot of interest and people in the region in all of the state of Quintana Roo, where Cancun is, asking, emailing, where can we play? How can we find local leagues? Can How can we start one? So um, we're already in conversation with some people in Quintana Roo to get leagues going on down there. So that has been great for the Mexican Federation. That's awesome. And that's why um, you're saying earlier, like it hasn't really ended for you guys. Cause now you have like, obviously have the administrative responsibilities to take care of, but also now the, um, you want to be proactive and make sure that you don't lose all the momentum and visibility that you guys gained from last month. That's awesome. Exactly. Did, uh, we were... Oh, good. Oh, sorry. We already had a lot of the equipment down there, like balls, uh, nets, and so we donated most of them to local schools and to the local uh, sports. Um, I don't know the ministry. Yeah, ministry. ministry. Uh, so, so uh, we, we hope that that helps also um, growing the game at different levels, uh, both at the recreational level, the competitive level, but also in schools, uh, from middle schools to high schools. So you, yeah. So what, what Armando saying, just to clarify is that most of the equipment that was used at worlds was left behind and donated. Nice. So you guys yeah. can jumpstart, um, more operations down there or, or use it for that. Exactly. That's cool. So how did you guys get, um, how'd you guys get selected to host 2019? Like what was, what was that like? And when did you guys know? And you know, do, do every does every country like kind of compete for it? Like, how did you guys get that? Uh, how that happened? So, so uh, in terms of WDBF, um, uh, speaking also as the pressure of the WDBF, uh, we do have a selection process for uh, different countries, and we're formalizing that process so that countries can can bid for. Um, the privilege of hosting in the, the tournament uh, in the in the following years. Up to now, though, uh, it's been rotating between countries, uh, starting all the way in 2012 in uh, Kuala Lumpur and, and going through pretty much all the um, founding members um, around the world. Uh, so uh, most of them have already hosted the tournament. And in 2017, we started talking about doing it in Mexico. Uh, at that point, uh, however, it, uh, we thought it was best to have the tournament in LA uh, just from a political standpoint. Uh, so that's that's why 2018 uh, was hosted in, in LA instead of Cancun. Uh, 
but um, after, after the uh, DLA championships, uh, we uh, started talking about uh, bringing back to Mexico for 2019, and that's that's pretty much how, how it happened. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, you just jogged my memory too about uh, the political scope last year. Um, so I think I remember it was like a not a last minute switch, but like you said, it, it was ultimately determined that LA would probably be the better one for 2018. So you had known about this for a while then, um, that this was going to fall on you guys to, to be the host at some point. Uh, right. So, so it, 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 we were contemplating it from 2017. It was until last year when, um, uh, when it was decided that it was actually going to be Cancun for 2019. Uh, but, but yeah, I think for 2018, the main, the main, our main purpose was to unite dodgeball in the U.S., and that that's why um, we thought it was going to be useful to have it in LA. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a lot of that's what's crazy about like the WDBF because um, yeah, we're we're saying at least I've been saying look back and see how far we've come, but at the same time, like the the whole selection process for how even Team USA was was created. Um, or is done is very recent as of last year and still trying to work out kinks as we go. So that was a very big statement, I think last year, and then being able to kind of build upon that for this year. Um, and now seeing what's going to go on in, in Glasgow, I feel like a lot of momentum is being, being generated. What, um, when, when you guys found out like, okay, this for sure going to happen in 2019. What was the process like? Like what would you, what responsibilities did both you and Andrea have to assume? How soon did it start for you guys? Like what was, uh, can you kind of explain what it's like to, to run and be, be the, the sole responsibility for, for this huge event? So um, we started almost immediately in 2018 after we, we found out for sure that it was official. Um, our first priority was to secure the venue. And we had already started talks with the government in 2017 uh, to get the venue. And uh, we were pretty in advanced, we were in pretty advanced talks at the time. Um, before we decided to, to do it in in LA for 2018. Uh, so uh, after we found officially about uh, uh, Cancun, I thought personally it was going to be pretty easy to just uh, follow up on those conversations we had uh, the previous year and close the venue. However, uh, what I hadn't considered is that 2019 was an election year and there was a change in government. Um, huh. So that changed everything because uh, number one, we had to find the new contact again and uh, start talks from the beginning. And number two, what I didn't know at the time is that the previous government uh, was actually not the, uh, well, they were in touch with us. They actually didn't own the building. It was a private uh, building. And when the new government came in, uh, they found out that there was there were some irregularities with how the the land had been uh, given to this private investor. Uh, so they repossessed the entire thing. And when that happened, the previous owner decided to uh, pretty much trash the building. So like he took away the hardwood floor. Uh, the building has a beautiful um sc like uh, screen and scoreboard uh hanging from the from the ceiling and uh there was like a multi-million dollar equipment to to 
um, controlled that uh, scoreboard and he basically took that away if we can. Yeah, just oh, like the cables, the cables were just pulled. Like, so the, the screens are there, but you can't connect anything because all of the cable system was just, yeah, just ruined. Re just removed, dang. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, th at that point it was it was uh, a little bit of a harsh realization that we were a little bit farther behind than we thought, and um, but yeah, we, we had to to start working with what with what we have and um, keep going forward. Yeah, you can't let uh, you can't let setbacks like that, even though that was probably a big one, uh, interfere because you've got a lot of countries and you know people committing uh, to to go to this event so it's like a it's like the world's watching you in, in a way the dodgeball world's watching you guys and um did you have any other hang-ups like um or once once you said i think like the venue was was finally secured it was a little bit easier than that or like what was the rest of uh all the um organizing and, and coordinating how did that the rest of that go like with the venue or not the venue the like uh, hotels um things of that nature uh so um the venue itself, like securing the venue was a hard thing to do just because um, everything had to be done in person. So we, we had to fly there like probably four or five times just to be able to first meet the people that were going to uh, make the paperwork and then uh, just to be able to sign the, the papers. It took like two or three times just because we would go there one time and then they, they would say, well, actually, I think this um, one of the papers is not ready, so you just come back like in two days. Oh, jeez. Uh, but we don't leave. <laughs> Going back in two days means that we have to go back to Boston and then come back at, <laughs> in a couple of weeks. So it, it's it's just, it, and I know it sounds funny, but that, that's uh, it was pretty frustrating when when it happened. No, I, yeah. I think I recognize that laugh, like Andrea. I think you're just reliving how awful that probably felt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just the, the way things get down, I think, done in Latin America is just different. And it it just took a little, I don't know, readjusting, I guess, because I think we're used to it. But but then we forget a little bit of how things work down there. And then just the, that cultural, um, you know, click in our brains to remember that everything needs to get done through coffee or a meal or not necessarily email, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, not as transactional as it, as it is here in the States where exactly. you can just be, Hey, here's my money. Here's what we need. Boom. Done. It's, uh, exactly. Yep. Um, and I think that's a good point because like once we figured that out, like uh, that things were done differently, everything was more, much more smoother. Uh, so, so like it was just adjusting culturally to what happens down there. And even though we're from there, uh, just by the fact that we have lived some, for so many years here in the U.S. and uh, done most of our adult things here, uh, we kind of forgot how things are done down there. Gotcha. Um, I kind of want to say this question for the end, um, but just in terms of like the process. Um, actually, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say that for for the for one of the last questions. So scratch that one. Um, I do want to ask, so like, what was it like organizing the opening ceremonies? So if I recall correctly, you had, um, was it the military, the army, Marines, was it cadets? Like who was playing, um, was it the anthem during that? <laughs> yes. So for, for the opening ceremonies, um, 
in terms, this is like me wearing my um, organizing, like director of the event hat. Um, I, because it was in Cancun, you know, I had always thought that we should definitely highlight the Mayan culture in one way or another. And by, have, by showcasing a game of poke to poke, that's spelled P-O-K-T-A-P-O-K, um, which is this Mayan ball game in which you are supposed to use mostly your hips and definitely not your hands, but it, it, it just made me think, and I shared this with Armando and then our organizing team in Mexico City about how cool would it be to start with, you know, where we are in Mayan, basically Mayan Mexico, and then finish the whole thing with modern, you know, Mexico. That's the, the combination of ancient Mayan and Spanish, right? Um, so that was the idea behind it, like have the Mayan culture and then that syncretization of Mayan and European with the end show um and started with sport you know what it was like to play mayan bowl game yeah that was that's really cool watching that and so if i if i remember correctly they weren't trying were they trying to get a ball into a ring like up on a wall or was it kind of like a like a soccer base goal so it's usually on a wall so you would play it like um it would be some sort of like if you imagine two sets of bleachers on opposite ends um someone those bleachers made out of stone of course but um out of those stones of the high points you would have rings so those balls would go up into the air and those rings we couldn't fully recreate that inside the venue so they adapted you know the the troop that was doing this adapted it to have something that would symbolize that even though it was not necessarily a hundred percent um what the ancient game would have looked like gotcha but we, we got an idea and i mean you could google uh poke to poke um and see it on youtube um and it's funny because i being here in arizona in southwestern studies um i think there were similar games that were played that i learned about and i always wonder like how do you like just use your hips like i can't even play soccer and just use my feet let alone get this ball up in the air into this ring and um yeah it's just, it's just a crazy looking game um but it's also cool, like how how many sports have evolved since then, and we still have like the similar concept, like get this ball to this object, whether it's a basketball hoop through field goal posts. In our in our example or in our experience, it's you know at a person. <laughs> but yeah. uh, how was what was the re re response to that? Do you think uh, people enjoyed watching that? Yes, um, I I do think that most of the athletes, and the delegates who were present, and the audience that was there. They were really enjoying it. Just getting into it. That was really cool to watch. Um, were, they, were these people that, did they still play that game? Or was that just like a, a demonstration? Or like, I don't want to say it's like other leagues that people still pick this up? There, or There are leagues. So there Crazy. are leagues of poke to poke. Yeah. It has been catching up. I think it was not, I, 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 I really can't say a year, but I think it's been picking up like for the past, you know, five or seven years or so. Nice. Um, but yeah, people have wanted to like explore this and go back to their roots in a sense and, uh, and play this. So it has, you know, it's, there, there has been a revival. That's awesome. From like back in like 1400 BC, I'm like totally cheating. I'm looking at Google right now. So to be able to still be playing that game, knowing that, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of, of generations have been playing this game. It's, it's kind of cool. And, uh, 
And you guys, um, you had the military too, right? Was that, uh, who, yeah. who were they? So this is, um, it's called a Banda de Guerra. So I guess the war's band. Um, and every time that you have an event in Mexico where you will be singing the anthem, you cannot just sing the anthem. You have to have this protocolary ceremony. Um, so you, well, you basically, you have to write to, um, you have to write a letter and then the, the, the army basically sends you, um, um, a, a small, help me out with the names here. I don't know how to say that. Like a marching band? Marching band. Yeah. That's what it sends you like the, a, a march, uh, a marching band that's part of the army. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, they're very strict in terms of how you can present the flag and, uh, yeah. just, uh, I'm trying to think of like, cause like, you know, in football we'll have, um, well, well, the national anthem playing, um, I think if you look hard enough, you'll see like the honor guard. Um, so you still have that kind of tradition here, but I guess as you're saying, every event, every sports event, you have to have, um, this band come out and play to, oversee or just kind of kick off or just part of tradition or like it's it's rooted in that or right so so if it's uh, a formal event uh and you want to play the anthem to as part of the inauguration then uh you have to follow this process so, so it's um it's not mandatory that you play the anthem or show the flag um but if you do want to do that then you, you have to follow this pro protocol nice yeah that was cool uh, watching that um I felt watching it was like, oh man, like this is like, I always get super excited anytime anything portrays dodgeball in like a legitimate professional standpoint and to see that they, you know, you guys had the Mexican government and to include the military to participate in this, even, even if just for a few minutes, um, that was awesome. It's like, you know, you were saying earlier that guy was saying, oh, dodgeball is not a real sport. Well, it's like, look at this amazing presentation we provided. Um, the government's taking it seriously. The government's working with us, um, tapping into the cultural roots. So like, yeah eat that man like, it's very legitimate how dare you like that's cool yeah no we we, we tried our best um and we had limited resources but we, we did try our best to um um put the spectator like at the forefront when we were planning the event and um i, I know like in many cases uh, spectators are neglected in a sense so like for instance in terms of sitting or uh, viewing points um or even scheduling uh so we we, we tried to everything we did we tried to to think what would be best for the spectator even even if it detracted the experience a little bit for the players right we try to keep the players also in mind when doing all these things but uh we 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 did try to emphasize the spectator for for these tournaments that's awesome yeah, yeah it has been our experience in mexico especially that that is what's going to make the sport take off um it's you know trying to get those sponsorships and getting getting out in the air getting coverage in the press and things like that i think the more spectators and fans there are coming to see us the more you know the more the sport will grow yeah and like if you kind of look at the the cultural differences in making transactions like you know it's you can't really just send an email um, to some gym and be like, hey, we want to play dodgeball here. You kind of have to like warm them up a little bit, show them what uh, what all you can bring to the table. 
and, and maybe form that kind of relationship so that people will start seeing it as a real sport and want to play along and, and want to help grow. Exactly. That's awesome. So from my point of view, um, you know, creeping in on, on YouTube and watching the live streams and whatnot, looked like things were going really well. Um, how do you guys feel it went from an organiza- uh, organizational standpoint? And we're going, going into uh, Dominic's question. So just overall, how do, you, how do you guys feel like it went? I think overall, it, I think overall it went well. Um, I think it is still hard for me to, um, I'm still processing, I guess, because every day was like, you know, like, oh, this is not working. This is not working. Fix this, fix that, help us with this. So I I think I'm still recovering from that, but I think overall, I think it was pretty successful, successful event. So I'm guessing you guys were like from the second it started, just at that point, okay, things are going now. We're just here to put out fires. Uh, yeah, in, in a like sense. A words, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think it, it was very rewarding to see people, uh, either players or sp- particular spectators, to come come over and uh, see us to congratulate us from for the event. Uh, I think they were very excited to see things like the the opening ceremony, the closing ceremony, um, and things that hadn't been done before, like uh, having um, anthem ceremonies before some of the uh highlight the matches games, yeah. like the opening ceremony, the opening games and the and tail games uh so i think that, that kind of gave a little bit more production value to uh, to the event from the spectator standpoint and um they did notice that yeah yeah it was also it was also great having the kids um kids who walk down with some of the players so those are some of the cancun kids who have been playing dot for, for for a little bit and were introduced by um to the sport by you know jesus huerta um, who is in building up the league in puebla um so that was really nice to have them walk out together come out of the tunnel and be with the athletes for the anthem ceremonies that's gonna be cool on both sides like because you know us dodgeball players we we all dream of like, you know, playing in a huge venue like the Olympics or, you know, like the way conventional sports are being held. And, um, rarely, I think, do we encounter like kids that are playing the same sport that look up to us. I think we're still kind of figuring that whole, what does a professional dodgeball player look like? So to be able to kind of have that, like it benefits the players and benefits the kids too. seeing, you know, these freaking phenomenal dodgeball players doing crazy stuff. Like I'm always, well, as a kid. I was always impressed seeing an, an adult do anything. Like I see an adult throw a football like 50 yards. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Or like I see him like jump like five feet in the air. I'm like, oh man, being an adult's gonna be so cool when I grow up. I was lied to, but um, it's cool that you you guys provided that um, because they, they might be we might be talking about them four or five years from now. Um, hopefully, right? If it grows, exactly. probably a little bit longer. It's I think they were like uh, between five and yeah, 10. they were truly elementary school kids. <laughs> but then we. But we had we we did we did showcase um, middle school slash high school students in a demonstration game, our, right. our youth game. So that was also good. Nice. Right. I was gonna say some of these kids look like they're twelve right now that play uh, competitively. So <laughs> that's that's true. That, that's yeah, true. that is. Cool. <laughs> um, so when I when I said I had that question, I wanted to say for earlier. Um, I wanted to just focus on the event. Um, this is Dom. Dom's question again was, uh, what do you think the biggest challenge was just during those seven days? Like once everything was kicked off and, and running, um, what was your biggest challenge? Uh, so I think uh, the biggest challenge during the event and a little bit uh, running up to the event was the flooring. Uh, so 
uh, as I mentioned, when the the building transitioned from the private ownership to the government uh, in late 2018, uh, the hardwood was removed. Right. So we did find uh, a federation, the volleyball federation that has uh, sport court uh, courts, and they actually had their court in in Cancun at that venue for uh, early 2019 because they had a tournament there. And they agreed to lend that to us, uh, well, to rent it to us, actually, uh, for uh, the duration of the tournament. But uh, the, the floor was supposed to be in Monterey three weeks before for us to pick it up and bring it to Cancun. Just for reference, Monterey is in, on the, close to the Texas border. Right. Gotcha. So about like uh, 2,000 miles away. I was going to say, quite a, quite a big, From big gap there, big distance. And uh like a week before they were supposed to give the floor to us uh i got a call from from the federation that they were going to have a tournament and that the floor might not be ready when they said it was going to be ready uh so we started looking at other options to, to ship the floor and uh it uh quickly became apparent that the only option was to early the floor uh, to cancun if we wanted it to be there on time for the championships and doing that was way too expensive for uh, the budget we had. Um, it, the, the floor was close to three tons and uh, pretty much like a, uh, a full container. So it, it was pretty much impossible to, to bring the floor. And at that point, our only other option was uh, uh, some flooring that's uh, meant for uh, table tennis. and. It had been used for the International Tennis uh, Federation tournament uh, like two years ago in, at that venue. Uh, so so it, it's actually a pretty good flooring, just a little bit different from what we were used to. And um, there were things that we had not considered, like for instance, the tape uh, that we had tested on both hardwood and, and the sport court, which is uh, pretty much like similar to what the uh, roller uh, hockey uh, uses also just for people that are not familiar with sport court, um, but the table we had tested on those floor on those floors did not really work on this new surface because it was a little bit more porous. Uh, so during the event, we we actually had to try to find tape in, in every single store in Cancun. Yeah. Uh, so I think at that point yeah. we exhausted the entire white tape supply from all stores. Exactly. So that was part of like one of the putting fires out that he mentioned earlier. It was that, oh, we need more tape. And all of a sudden we were out of tape. So I would have to like take a, a, the little minivan that we had rented and drive to the two or three Home Depots that I could find or any sort of, <laughs> you know, that kind of a store to find more duct tape. So that was very stressful. Um, just, yeah. And, and as Armando said, at some point we really depleted everything that was, um, all the white duct tape was gone. We had bought it all. Um, but we got lucky that it was restocked actually Friday. So we ended up having some more tape for the weekend games. But yeah, <laughs> that was tough. It's funny just having to, I bet like whoever, manufactured tape is probably having a good day like oh man sales are just boosting right now this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so it all connects yeah it all goes back to the floor basically that was just a single single biggest problem um mm. 
what uh dom dom asked uh was it was it hard for you to host and and play uh it was it was it was hard uh so just taking care of these small things and then um yeah from everything from working the ticket master machine which uh was a little bit more difficult to, to operate than we thought and uh not that the maple knew how to use so like even doing those small things and then uh other uh, uh other things like for instance the scoreboards and things like that that i was uh, lo uh looking at uh, it basically took my entire day so i had like before playing probably like two or three hours of sleep every day oh, and that's obviously not ideal for playing yeah that's it's gotta be rough and like just like your your mind's also not just on the game in front of you what's going on but also like hey is, like is this event going well just having to operate on on two different um perspectives is gotta be rough for anybody um especially on a world level because you there's just so many more elements that you gotta worry about um Never mind people that you know host tournaments here locally and then have to play and then they complain like oh this is too rough but uh yeah try being in your shoes um that's a tall order man <clears throat> yeah but I, th I think uh andrea really when i was playing I, th I think and mostly throughout the the week uh she really took care of most of everything so i don't think if, if she had not been there I, I would probably not have been able to play nice yeah, that's, that speaks volumes for you, Andrea. And did you ever think, um, again, back when you'd be playing dodgeball for the first time, that you'd be helping run a world event like, of this caliber? No, no. <laughs> you know what? I have some event organizing experience under my belt. I did um, do, um, I was a wedding and event planner for, for, yeah, for some time, two years or so. So, I sort of haven't had an idea of how certain things would fit together um, and that we would be dealing with many things right up to, you know, the beginning of the event and during. So I think I was somewhat mentally ready, but this was just like a very long wedding, you know, like it was <laughs> multiple days of a, of a wedding. So it was, it was good. Though. One heck of a wedding. I would, man. Yeah. Seven yeah. days and people are flying from all the world to, to compete in, in dodgeball combat and you have all these bells and whistles and accolades. That'd be a that'd be a wedding. So you already had a you already had an organizational coordinating type of mindset going in that probably helped you a lot for understanding Absolutely. how to keep tabs on everybody and how to delegate responsibility and and all that stuff, putting out fires. Um, um yeah. Quick random question. Um, Andrew Sapala asks, why does Armando Valdez love Serena Fi so much? <laughs> Throwing a curveball at you from Zaps. Yeah, I think I, I like giving, giving it to him. That's true. <laughs> so you guys ice each other a lot. Is that what that is? Yeah, and actually, I think that the tradition comes all the way from David. Uh, we At uh, post-elite uh, tournaments, we usually... Uh, send our friends, especially Team Awesome, uh, some Smyrna of Ice uh, for uh, bonding afterwards. Nice. Bonding. I remember uh, when I first found out about getting ice, I was like, yeah, ice me. I don't care. Like, Give me free beer. And then after like the fourth one, I was like, I, I don't like this game anymore. This isn't fun. <laughs> Not a fan. Um, so we kind of talked about like your biggest challenge. That was, that was pretty much the floor. Um, kind of wanted to ask, now that we're kind of moving into like 
I guess like the future. Um, cause we also, also kind of covered that this event has probably helped dodgeball, uh, for Mexico moving forward. But, uh, if you had to do all this thing, if you had to do this all over again, um, what would you do? What would you do differently? Um, I think that if we had to do it again, it would be so much easier. Um, we now have all the, the know-how and the connections and I think we just know now the way things work and that would make everything like doing something like this so much easier, much more streamlined and absolutely. I am actually looking forward to seeing more events, not necessarily, you know, world championships, but definitely more international tournaments that we can host in Mexico and make sort of invitationals coming for, you know, going forward. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause people run these events, they get burnt out. They never want to do it again. Some people, um, like you said, they, they take the good with the bad, understand that the, the groundwork, um, the harder part's been kind of, um, paved the way already. And now it's just a matter of you know, just following up on all that hard work you guys made, all those several flights down to Mexico city and, and understanding how the, the culture works. And now you have people that are interested that you can build off of. So yeah, hopefully we, we do see more international events and, uh, and it just continues to grow. Um, how about you, Armando? What would you do differently if you had to do it all over again? Well, I think if it was um, late 2018 right now and we were starting to plan for Cancun, uh, the first thing I would do differently is not have it in Cancun. I, I mean, I, I understand the allure of the the, the destination and um, it's a fantastic, uh, for, for the tourist standpoint, it's, it's an, an awesome place. The, the beaches are fantastic. The... And the weather is really nice, uh, but the sporting infrastructure is not exactly what you want for a world championships. Yeah. Uh, right. It definitely, um, for like local tournaments, national tournaments, even even smaller international tournaments might work. But I think for an international event of this kind, uh, it falls a little bit short. Um, so I will definitely look at different options uh in mexico uh, mexico city will be ideal it's just that it's very high in altitude and that might not be the best thing for athletes from other countries um definitely an advantage for mexicans that live oh, there i was gonna say that's their problem if you guys are hosting is that to your uh, advantage uh but but yeah uh other cities especially mexico city would have been much easier to organize in terms of um just having like a larger team being able to run down to the venue like at any point yeah. during the week instead of having to fly all the way to Cancun to, to do that. Yeah, the whole community, the whole, yeah, a lot of the dodgeball community in Mexico is, you know, in Mexico City. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I also wanted to say about, um, you know, the people who are doing the live stream for, um, for Worlds. Um, it's a group, well, it's, um, I think it's a company formed by two brothers in Veracruz who contacted us a couple of years ago, wanted to have some sports, um, non-traditional sports in their media. Um, and they fell in love with dodgeball so much that they started a very, a very strong league they have right now. Nice. Um, and they got money, they got grants from the government and they have built the first, you know, I think they have three or four courts that are especially dedicated for dodgeball. So it's nothing else but dodgeball happens in those courts in Veracruz. So 
don't that's, know. I don't. That's pretty awesome. That's definitely very unique. Um, I, yeah, I think outside of Skyson and, and even the Skyson culture, just for something else, um, but uh, these courts might be the best. That the first exclusively dodgeball courts that um, I'm, I'm not sure in, in in Asia. Maybe in Asia there are some, but uh, at least in in North America, that those might be the first uh, exclusively dodgeball courts. Yeah, I was going to say I I for the life of me cannot think of any organization that has a specific court designed for dodgeball. Um, I kind of had one in 2006 with the city of Tucson, um, but it was off a tennis court. They actually painted lines uh, per NDL dodgeball court regulations, but I don't, I don't think that counts. It was uh, to have an actual specific dodgeball courts. That is, that's really cool. And that says a lot about, again, just being available, having that visibility, showing people how cool dodgeball is. Cause you never know who's, who's watching, who's interested and what, uh, what resources they have. So, who knows? Maybe uh, a couple millionaires will will see what you guys are doing and, and want to invest in it and make it happen and, and make it bigger and um, yeah, just every, everywhere or nowhere to go but but up from here, I think. Um, so what is what does twenty twenty look like uh, for both of you, for both you and for um, FMDB? And we'll start with you, Andrea. Um, well, um, I think our main goal for FMDB is going, well, from my perspective is going to be to grow the sports in, um, with youth. Um, I am a teacher, so I work with high school students and I have worked with middle school students ever since I finished college. So my life is in education and I, my support to FMDB comes through, um, building building that um the 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 starting that passion for the sport um from when kids are little so i think on my end is working with the government to see how we can implement uh dodgeball as part of the national pe program nice that would be huge yeah we're always talking about like how can we grow the sport get the kids playing get them playing early exactly yeah, that would be uh be quite the quite the accomplishment is, is getting that just again looking at you know how how it is in the the Asian countries where dodgeball is like a staple like they they play that like they would play soccer or football uh, like we would do here in the, in the states and if we can model that uh, man dodgeball would grow pretty explosively in the next five to ten years I, I think absolutely absolutely so how about as a player though um did I catch that? Are you, are you still like going to play at SBS? Um, we've got premier league now being dropped. Um, how's it look for you as a player? Well, as a player, I am, I am undecided yet as if I am going to come back to elite. Um, um, definitely, um, SBS, I might, um, this year was just particularly difficult into getting the playtime in, um, because of Cancun and going down there um, all that often. But maybe this year I can go back to SBS for gotcha. sure. Yeah, I, I imagine this would probably take up some of your time, maybe just a little bit, you know, with fly, flying back and forth all the time and kind of a big thing to, to have on your plate there. Um, yeah. How about you, Armando? What's, uh, what does 22 look like for, for the organization first? And we'll get to you as a player. So in terms of the organization, we definitely want to um, – to use all the interest that was generated from 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 worlds, uh, especially in terms of sponsors, uh, we had a lot of conversations from uh, sponsors of all, all different sizes, 
And one of the things that uh, we couldn't do for Worlds was getting financial support from most of them because uh, of their funding schedules. So I, I didn't know that at the time. And that, that might be one of the other things I might change if I was doing this all over again. Uh, but um, as of January, most companies in Mexico allocate their entire budget for the year in terms of uh, marketing. So what that meant is that when we asked for funds, they didn't really have any left uh, to give to us. Uh, so uh, we want to, however, we, we were able to establish connections with those companies. So uh, for next year, uh, the money will be there and uh, we will try to, to use it to, uh, to build a series of tournaments that uh, attract uh, people not only from Mexico, but maybe also from um, the U.S. and Canada. That's awesome. And, and kind of like what you guys were saying about you've already you already got like the rhythm figured out. You already understand like the connections. Um, that's very true and, and a good point about companies. Um, they allocate what they're going to use for spending, as you said. And um, in my experience, always asking for sponsorships for you know Tucson Dodgeball or, or Team Evil and whatnot. The I wouldn't so much get just flat out no. I would get we would love to, but unfortunately, we've already figured out our budgeting for this year and it's always just a matter of timing and maybe if you knew better like okay like you said if i ask these people in maybe december or january and get in on that budget you know i might be able to scrape by with you know a couple hundred bucks here or there so it's a really huge point um and i think a lot of people could probably do well um you know putting putting out those those feelers for for sponsorship find out on the calendar when they need to start asking and then make sure they do that next year and and start making life a little bit easier for themselves um yeah because like Especially when you have like the international pool now, the way it is, um, you know, good luck with like your little local league. But if you are saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Glasgow next year and or hosting this year and we're going to bring in um, people that are going to be wanting a lot of tape or just something. Um, yeah, you have like a lot of knowledge now to make 2020 look really good and moving forward and beyond. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, definitely in terms of sponsorships, I think like there are two main things that they are looking for. One is. Uh, start talking to them early. In Mexico, it, you have to start talking to them in December, January, uh, the year before the, the event or the events. And number two is uh, sponsors really like like a series of tournaments and especially recurring tournaments. So like a one-off event, uh, it's a lot of work. And unless you have something like the FIFA World Cup, you won't. they, they won't have the return they're looking for to be able to spend their time uh, in, in trying to get you the, the funds you want. Gotcha. Uh, so, so that, that's why, uh, for 2020, we're starting early. We're, we're already talking about, uh, the tournaments we're doing next year with them. And, uh, also a recurring series of tournaments that, that happen year over year. So I wanted to real quick, um, ask for anybody that that's listening, that might be interested in playing in team Mexico, um, especially since we're talking about next year, what, uh, what are some advice or pointers that you can give to people that are wanting to make the team? Uh, so, so the first thing we, we actually get asked a lot is uh, what you need to to be on the team in terms of uh, citizenship. So we, we do have we do need people to be Mexican citizens or to at least uh, be residing in the country for the last year. Uh, so that's an essential requirement, and not only for Mexico but all other WDBF countries. Right. Um, in terms of making the team, uh, it, it's pretty much up to the coaches to, to see um, 
what they want from from a player, uh, and they they look for different different things. Uh, so uh, it's hard to to pinpoint exactly what what you you need in terms of throwing or catching. Uh, uh, but definitely getting your name out there and uh, participating in in tournaments, especially in Mexico, uh, it's um, one thing that will help. Gotcha. So just. Like obviously you have to throw really well and catch that that's that's a given uh most people for the most part have that figured out but for for this it's like what kind of visibility do you have um i imagine are you able to work well as a team member not so much a solo player just uh stuff pretty much that you'd expect for for like team usa selection for example or team canada i imagine right right exactly gotcha good stuff um the last question i wanted to um Pretty much leave off with was uh shout outs so we can start with you andrea um do you have any people that you'd like to shout out just looking back from the second this started to i guess now i would say when it ended but it hasn't really ended for you guys just yet but Who'd okay you guys shout so out? um i'm gonna shout out to um roy gg marco franco Luis, bolio barbie and Stu's who are are part of the main organizing committee in Mexico City. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Armando Macias, who um, is the head of motion events in Cancun. And he was instrumental also in helping us um, deal with the day-to-day -day logistics of the event. Um, and I want to thank the family. I want to take uh, thank my mom and my in-laws and for all of their support um they truly were were great from feedback just from talking to us from from actually being there on the ground and helping with everything that needed to be taken care of so yeah that's awesome um yeah i get to talk to Gigi a little bit on the the ball stay side she's been really awesome to talk to and um i think like talking about like you know your your presence on the team and what you can bring to the table she's very like she seems like a really good ambassador, so yeah, that's cool that you mentioned her. Um, and so you got your family uh, to to spectate and, and help out as well. Yes, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> what do they think of that? Um, yeah. Oh, they they absolutely love it. They, they are so supportive, and we are such a tight knit family that whenever possible, we try to to do things together. So just like Armando and I, like do a lot of like our social thanks through dodgeball. I think our family also sees that and they support it and they want to help us in any way they can. That's really cool. Way better than like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> no, no. That's awesome. Um, how about you, Armando? What shots do you have? Well, I mean, in, in addition to everyone that uh, Andrea just mentioned, uh, who were actually really, really helpful. Uh, I think that without them, Every every one of them, like I, I think the event will not have been possible. Um, but I would also like to to shout out to uh, Alejandro Otero and Jafet Otero, who, who uh, as Andrea mentioned earlier, uh, are the heads of uh, Cancun. I mean, um, Veracruz Multimedia, uh, which is a local channel in in the state of Veracruz, and they were amazing in in producing the uh, the live stream. Uh, even with some setbacks, like uh, I think their main switcher had uh, issues in, or, or pro like a problem with the with the shipping, and that um, made it 
Yeah, one of their motherboards or something like was broken and transport flight to Cancun. So, oh, yeah. So the first thing as they arrived, it was like finding a tech store where they could go buy uh, some uh, replacement. Yeah. So the, despite uh, all those setbacks, I think they did a, a very very good job um, um, getting the live stream out. Um, and then I would also like to recognize uh, Rosie Everett uh, for all her help, her help um, with the social media and just logistics in terms of getting uh, team names and uh, giving them to the um, uh, to the, to the production company to be able to put the, things like uh, uh, the the rosters on on screen and all that. Uh, I think I think she was really helpful throughout the tournament um, in in many aspects. Uh, and then uh, the commentators and the refs, I think they, they were they did an, an amazing job. Uh, I think they worked pretty much the same schedule that we did. So it was it was really really yeah. long days, and they never complained. They were uh, super helpful in every sense. So so thank you very much uh, both uh, for both groups. Nice. And then finally, um, I'd also like to recognize the sponsors. Uh, I know Dodgeball is not very well known, so uh, any support. As I said, um, this year, maybe not financially, but in terms of equipment and um, drinks and uh, things like that, I think every, every little bit helps. And uh, I, I know it's... Uh, it really needs someone really visionary to, to be able to invest in, in dodgeball and uh, companies like Electrolyte, which was amazing and giving us all uh, other product uh, for the athletes. Uh, RxN, uh, Baliste, um, Hard Rock Cafe, who, who hosted us for uh, the, the closing party and then uh, also some press conferences. Nice. Uh, uh, Pantera, which, aside from being uh, the leading uh, nonprofit for conservation of the Jaguar, uh, also helped us uh, find this amazing artist, Aldo Islas, uh, who designed the, uh, the trophies for the first place and the MVP, uh, which is usually like a $4,000 commission. Um, Ouch. So, so it's a. Uh, I think like every single person that was involved um, did this very selflessly, and uh, we were really, really grateful. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a selfless. Um, I don't want to say thankless. I think people, for the most part, are pretty grateful. But it's definitely one of those things where it's you, you provide something that a lot of people will have in their memories for forever now. Um, talking to some of the, the players from Team USA that I got to recap with, you know, I asked uh, Brenda what her favorite memory was, and it was obviously it was, it was winning women's, but it was also um, having, I think, coconuts from um, this tree from a, from the beach. Just just stuff that would not happen if you guys weren't putting in the all the hours, miles, frustration, and, and emotions into making this happen. So from, from everybody that had a hand in it, whether it's um, just helping move equipment to planning on the, on the high level, um, really produced an awesome thing. And that, that's what it, that's what it's going to take to make this sport grow and, and uh, give us something to talk about next year. So that's awesome, guys. 
think that's all I got. So I think we'll go ahead and end the interview there. All right, so that was a brief uh, recap with uh, Armando Valdez and Andrea uh, Villagran. And thank you both guys for, for not only being willing to talk dodgeball, uh, especially with your experience, but also reaching out to me first. Um, as I mentioned in our offline conversation, uh, I was really hoping to use this one for kind of like my last, just a, a quick, like, well, I, I say quick, even though this went past the hour mark, but uh, just like a, an opportunity to get inside the minds of somebody um, who organized this. Uh, last year we had Jake, this year we have you two and, um, and your staff. And just to see this come from a conversation um, with Bill Fair at the National Dodgeball League, Dodgeball World Championship and Convention in 2013-2014 to uh, what we all got to experience, whether as a player, as a spectator, podcaster, what have you. Um, it's, it's as I say, it's it's no it's nothing short of impressive, and it, it really speaks well to the dodgeball community and its expansion and what it's taking to, to make these things happen. Um, a lot of selflessness, a lot of uh, contribution to an idea that goes beyond us and a lot of uh, future thinking. So I really hope that in five to 10 years, we'll be looking back at these events and just seeing how much more has changed um, in growth in, in um, organization and just, uh, just being able to look back and see where we are. I mean, that's, that's part of uh, one of the main reasons why we even have this podcast to begin with. So for those of you that were able to snipe in some questions, I really do appreciate it. Um, as I said, it was kind of last minute because I'm definitely pushing really close to the holidays like I was not really planning to, but uh, the content's there, uh, the desire's there, so I will cover it when I can. But uh, aside from all that, if you are still with me, thank you so much for doing so. Have a great uh, rest of your evening, great rest of your week. Happy holidays, and we'll see you soon. hurts everywhere i think i'm dying everything hurts and i'm dying oh god closing in three two one all right so that was a brief recap recap <laughs> jesus christ